Hello and welcome to Series 2, Episode 5 of Out With Susie Ruffle. First of all, thank you to everyone that got in touch with me this week. I'm receiving lots of lovely emails, but I want more. I want to hear more of your coming out stories. I want to have suggestions for guests. Anything you want to send me, please do. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. It's always lovely to receive your emails, so thank you so, so much. Also, thank you to everyone who has been tweeting or Instagramming about how much they're enjoying the podcast and also giving it reviews. I really, really appreciate that. So thank you for taking the time out to do that. Also, I know we're getting new listeners all the time, which is amazing. So if you're new to the podcast, hello, welcome. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Welcome to the party. I mean, it's not really a party. It's a podcast, but it's the closest thing we can have to a party at the moment. It's, It's two people in your ears having a conversation. So I hope you enjoy it. I was on uh, Scott Mills and Chris Stark's show on Five Live a couple of mornings ago. So maybe some of you have joined from there. So if this is your first episode, um, hello. There's lots and lots in the back catalogue. So maybe go back and have a listen to some of those. Um, Yeah, I hope you enjoy your time with me. So as ever, I read a couple of emails from listeners at the top of the show. And here's the first one from Ross. Good morning, Susie. I've just found your podcast and listened to episode one while having my breakfast. Episode two is playing now. This is the first time I've heard Dustin speak and hear some of his story. What a moving and inspirational speaker. I've just ordered his book and bought Milk to Watch this week at some point. I love hearing other people's stories and how far we've come, especially stories around parents that don't always react well, but seeing them learn and increase their understanding on their journey is beautiful. My dad is coming along on his journey still. His reaction to me coming out as bi was not good. I was lucky that I wasn't disowned, etc. So it wasn't as bad as I know some people have it. But now I know over the last few years, he is starting to understand more. I found out he's been speaking to my sister-in-law about how he wished he'd handled it better with me. He's yet to speak to me about it, but I know that he's learning and understanding more. And that is so touching. The rest of the family reacted better, but still learning and understanding more and more, which is lovely too. But the stages my dad has been through is is really lovely. Thank you so much for starting this podcast, and I am very much looking forward to listening to all of the episodes I have to catch up on. All the best, Ross. Thank you for getting in touch, Ross. Welcome to the podcast. I think I think you're absolutely right. I think allowing people to have a journey is so important, and that's something that Dustin's episode Uh, really highlighted and I I loved about it is that you know sometimes maybe you're listening to this now and you haven't had a great reaction from someone that you love and whilst in an ideal world we'd all have the reactions we want immediately sometimes giving people a little bit of time is the best thing to do and allowing people to make mistakes and then make things right is okay I know that I had that with some people in my life and I now have wonderful relationships with them and and it's okay it's okay for people to make a mistake and then do the right thing. So thank you for highlighting that, Ross, and thank you for getting in touch, and I hope that you enjoyed the rest of the podcasts. Um, I've now got another one here from Emma, and um, I know I mentioned this last week, so I'm kind of like a broken record, but uh, so forgive me. But loads of you have been in touch about including the A in LGBTQIA+. And um, I didn't realise that I was missing out asexuality. You know, I thought the plus always included it, but it's so important um, that that, that it feels really included. And I am doing the work on trying to find someone that's asexual. As I mentioned last week, we do already have all of the episodes for series two, but I am going to look for someone for series three. But I've been inundated with emails like this one here. Hi, Susie. 
I just wanted to say a huge thank you for your incredible podcast. I look forward to Mondays during lockdown and I've loved listening to each episode whilst taking a sanity-preserving walk. Now Series 2 accompanies me on my commute. It is an absolute delight to hear each and every week a new conversation and I love the way that you host with such openness and warmth. The podcast has affirmed aspects of my own queer identity, educated me in many other LGBTQIA issues and energised me to try and be a better activist. I'm now the proud owner of a very cute AKT tote bag. Thank you so much for shining a light on the wonderful work this charity does. I didn't know that they made tote bags. I'm absolutely going to order one right now. I grew up in West Yorkshire, but I'm currently living in Copenhagen and it's been tough this year. Not being able to visit my family back in the UK, my parents, my brother and I are a very close team. And while it's wonderful to have so many ways of keeping in touch with them online, I really miss them. Your podcast has been one of the things my mum and I have shared and connected more deeply over this year. We both listen to each new episode as soon as we can and always check in with each other to talk about how much we loved it. Mum has also shared some episodes with my dad. The Tom Allen interview stands out as one they both absolutely adored. My brother and I are so, so fortunate to have these amazing people as our parents and the LGBTQIA plus community is lucky to have them as allies. I'd also like to thank you about the beautiful things you said about the A in the LGBTQIA plus a couple of episodes back. I'm, I'm still getting used to saying it all and I... and. You guys know, uh, 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 and I mentioned it in this episode, I'm quite dyslexic. So looking at all those letters together, I, I do try and say it like a word, but I won't. Um, back to the email. I'm fortunate to be accepted with open arms by my family and closest friends since I came out officially as asexual and aromantic earlier this year. But I have also crossed paths with many who don't try to understand our experience and tell us we're naive, mistaken, or that we just haven't met the right person yet. I can't tell you how good and how validating it felt to hear you speak with such warmth and openness about asexuality. Coming to terms with my ace identity has helped me take stock of my friendships and family connections with a renewed gratitude. I love and am love, despite not experience a love of a romantic or sexual kind. I can now stop chasing relationships I never really wanted in the first place, and I feel extra thankful for the connections that fulfil me and matter most. The people in my life who have affirmed and validated how I feel means so much to me, as does your words in the last two episodes. So thank you again, and I hope you're keeping safe and well in these tricky times. Thank you so much to Emma for sending in your uh, podcast. Also, hello to Emma's mum, if you're listening. Um, I'm, I'm really chuffed that you feel that you feel validated and seen, which you are by the podcast. And thank you so, so much for getting in touch. Um, as I mentioned at the top, if you want to get in touch, please do. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. Um, I love receiving the emails. It's always a delight when I see a new one in the inbox. Right, let's move on to today's episode with the brilliant Steph McGovern. I absolutely love her, as you're here throughout this episode. We talk about all kinds of things, work, identity, coming out, being pregnant on BBC Breakfast. It's all really interesting and I, I just think she's brilliant. And, um, and what a joy it was to chat to her for an hour. Enjoy the episode. I'll speak to you next week when we'll have another fantastic guest. And uh, yeah, enjoy this. I am very excited for today's guest. In fact, she was on my wish list as soon as the podcast started. Steph McGovern is an award-winning journalist and broadcaster hailing from Middlesbrough. Her TV career began with work experience on Tomorrow's World, then on to Radio 4, 5 Live, BBC Watchdog, and of course, BBC Breakfast, where her talent, intelligence, and hugely likable nature shone through. 
Steph is also funny, having been a panellist and a host on Have I Got News For You and on The Last Leg, but most recently she hosted her very own Channel 4 show, The Steph Show, from her home during lockdown. Welcome to the show, broadcaster, journalist, presenter, former engineer, retired Irish dancer and girly swat, Steph McGovern. Hello, Steph. Hi, that's such a, it's so funny. I was sitting here thinking, am I still alive? This sounds like kind of what might be read out when I've when I've maybe I've died in lockdown is this what's happened (laughs) yeah yeah, this we only do this from the other side so did no one tell you (laughs) oh I'm really sorry there should have been an email (laughs) it must have gone into your junk oh no it's lovely to chat to you and you know what's really nice as well it's just like talking to other people that isn't just like my baby or my partner or like a work chat it's just nice to talk to someone who's funny and friendly (laughs) Before we begin, um, I want to talk about your podcast because I've been listening to it for a while, but I was listening to it more and more this week. So it's basically work stories. Is that how you describe it? And it's you and and your pal. Yeah. So it came about because um, the way that I tend to kind of de-stress from life, I don't know about you with this, Mm -hmm. but I is, is chatting to my mates and I've got one friend called Claire. Well, no, I haven't just got one friend. I've got more than one friend. I think as you get older, you whittle it down, don't you? Like, how many do I really need? Because it's quite a lot of effort. So you've got one. Brilliant. Okay. (laughs) Claire's made it through. And I've known Claire since we were kids and we used to do dancing together. And uh, she's she's just a typical Geordie lass. And whenever I ring her, she always has some comedy thing that's happened to her. um, She's really funny. Yeah. And she's so like, uh, you know, this whole premise of the podcast came because one, I rang her and I was just like hi Claire how are you doing love blah 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 and she was like you'll never guess what's happened I was like oh god what now she was like I touched my boss's leg in the meeting I was like I don't know what to do so uh, she ended up saying to her boss oh you've got a nice long leg and uh, was then mortified and I just thought do you know what? Every time I talk to you, you have a really funny work story and I don't think you're alone. I think things happen to people all the time. And similarly, that day in the BBC, I'd gone for a wee and noticed on the toilet uh, door was a note about people who'd been leaving snot on the wall. And I was just like, <laughs> what BBC? is this? I know. And it was a like really passive aggressive message uh, from some woman who was like, if this happens again, I'm going to report you. And, you know, and then I kind of tweeted this and then loads of people were messaging me going, yeah, this has happened in our office. Our boss has numbered the bogeys and says, if there's one more, then, you know, there's going to be hell on. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, so then so it just came from that. And then we just kind of started talking about these things and getting more and more stories sent to us from listeners about daft things that have happened oh, to them I was doing my big shop this week and <laughs> um I had I had you in my ears and it was the one about people that had said embarrassing things during interviews oh yes and it was when you completely corpsed and you were talking about the guy someone said to the guy he, he was he was doing really well in the interview yeah. and, and then someone said to him how flexible are you and he said I can do a roly-poly and a handstand <laughs> And then you, the three of you with the, you, you, Claire and and your producer, you were all just obviously killing yourself laughing, (laughs) but I just must've looked completely mad because I was just walking around Sainsbury's like doubled over laughing. 
like I've got my mask on. So I don't know how it looked, but and the woman that fell through the chair. Oh, oh yes, God, it oh, had me in hysterics. But it, that's the thing is, we all have stories that of things like this that have happened. Things where we've been totally mortified because we've done something or said something stupid, and it's just. That's just human nature, isn't it? And we, especially with job interviews, you, you know, you go in and you're so nervous. Yeah, you're so nervous and you're putting on this impression that you're the most perfect person ever. And reality is none of us are. So then, you know, something daft happens. And I, I just love that kind of real life humor of just, yeah. you know, observational things of just mad and funny things that happen. I just, uh, next week we're talking about, um, mistakes you've made at work and I just you know I tend to just put out a tweet to kind of gather stories yeah oh my god like uh, we've had 300 just in the space of a few hours again of just really really funny stuff and I'm sitting there reading them just crying laughing it's the same with um, <laughs> like going are. in for like well like interviews like auditions I went in for a job at Radio 4 and I've got quite bad dyslexia and so if I've got a read, if I'm doing autocue or something, I'll kind of learn it a bit so that I know where I'm going with it. And um, so they'd sent me all these scripts through. I was auditioning for like a host of a show. And so I went in and I had a really good audition. I was like, bam, 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 got it all, did all the different things. Like, great. And then before I went, they were like, oh, we've got a new story that we need the host to record for the audition. Is that okay? And I was like, oh, shit, this is a bloody nightmare. Anyway, there was a guy in the story called William Johnson, I did it three times. Every time I called him John Williamson. And I just, I don't know what happened. My brain just went, ah, ah. I just couldn't do it. I kept going, John Williamson. And then going, oh, sorry, sorry, it's William Johnson. I'm so sorry. I don't know why I keep doing that. I'm really sorry. Sorry, guys. I was so embarrassed. And then by the time I like, I didn't get the job, but then by the time I like had got out and got a coffee, I rang a really good friend of mine who I'm sure you know, Tom Allen. Yes. And we were just hysterical. They must have thought, oh, she can't read. <laughs> like, like, oh, like she's a stand-up. I guess it's true about stand-ups always improvising because she can't read. Like, <laughs> yeah, and that's it. You imagine, don't you, what's been said about you? Oh. Uh, and yeah, and I know because I one of the stories that was my favorite recently was a woman who said um, she spent years spreading her legs. And she meant, she meant, she mixed spreading two metaphors, yeah, stretching her legs and spreading her wings. And the, and the guy, the interviewer even said to her, can I tell everyone about this when you leave? Because it's really funny. And she was like, all right, yeah. But that's the thing. It's just, you, you kind of, when you're nervous. Because you've done loads of live TV, haven't you? With, I mean, the news. Yeah. Is it, is it a different kind of stress? Uh, do you know, I actually prefer it because then you don't have that faff on, you know, where you're like, right, can mm. we go again? Because actually, I think I'm a bit like you in that. The more times, if it's pre-recorded, then I kind of, I overthink it. And then I like, I get my words muddled up and I end up recording the same like bit to camera like seven times wherever it have been live I probably would have just done it yeah I think sometimes with my takes they sort of get consistently worse like, <laughs> yeah. no, do you know what do you know what? I think we did have it yeah yeah <laughs> that's exactly what I do I literally <laughs> sit at the cameraman or whatever like we had it on the first one and it always bugs me when we do it first time and then he goes we'll just do one for safety and I know eight takes later I'll still be doing that in the bloody one for safety but the other thing about live telly is as well is I love it when things go wrong like I mean not horrendous things obviously but 
just, you know, I like, I remember once I was broadcasting from the shopping centre and this woman with a little neon bobble hat just kept following me around and standing in the background. And I was just like, this is really funny. Like, I'm talking about something really boring here and actually having you in the background. You're jazzing it up. Yeah. And then everyone starts noticing it on telly and starts messaging. And then you just think, well, I mean, yes, I'm here to give you information, but also I'd like to just make people smile a bit as well and just have a bit of a laugh because everything is so bloody serious. Um, I'm going to get to the uh, to the the first question that I've actually got in, in just a moment, but I also want to ask you, what time do you have to get up when you, do you get asked this all the time? Uh, what time do you yeah. have to get up when you're doing breakfast? Yeah, like half three. <gasps> I know. As a comedian, you'll see the like other end of that. So you're like, yeah. you'll be finishing at half three when I'm starting. Yeah, getting in from a tour show. If you're yeah. if you've got something the next day and you've got to be in town for it, you've got to come down to London for it and you're sort of in Hull. You just get in the car afterwards and drive down. Yeah. So yeah, totally different working hours. And it's and it's funny the sights you see, because you there are people haven't who are still wandering yeah. around at that time. Of course. And I'm yeah, like, oh God. It's half eight, but equally, you finish really early. So add some mornings, I'll be done by half nine. I'll be home for 10. I'll be in my PJs, back in bed. <laughs> Lovely. So, I, I mean, I loved it. It was brilliant, but it was, it definitely was a killer because I did that job for eight years and I spent most of my time, as we've just said, like traveling around the country. So I was forever living in hotels and then getting up in the middle of the night. And I just thought, oh, yeah, I love that program, but I've, I've had enough now. And then I had a baby and I thought, nah. So you grew up in Middlesbrough, is that right? Were you born in Middlesbrough? Uh, do you know, this is the, you're the first person to ever actually ask me where I was born because everyone always assumes I was born in Middlesbrough and I wasn't. And it just always gets announced and I never correct anyone on that. But I was actually born in Newcastle, but I grew up in Middlesbrough and that might not sound like much to you, but in Northeast <laughs> land, that is mega. There'll be people now who've always assumed I was born in Middlesbrough, who will be screaming at whatever device they are listening to <laughs> this on and going, what, she's not a real smoggy, which is what you call a person from Middlesbrough. But, you know, I, 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 like, I grew up there from when I was little. I was just born in Newcastle. I've got a lot of family in Newcastle, but I'm a, I'm a proud Northeasterner is what I'd say. Yeah. And what were you, I mean, you're obviously, I mean, there's no way to say this without sounding like I'm being, uh, like I'm being a creep. Uh, and I don't mean like a creepy guy. I mean like a creep is in giving you loads of praise. But you're obviously super, super smart. You had like a, a career before sort of moving into TV and you, I was looking through like all the stuff that you've done and you seem to have won loads of awards for being smart. And that you've been, you can tell that when you're on shows like Have I Got News For You, it's like an extra thing to be able to do stuff like that. So were you like a, were you a clever kid? Do you know, it's really interesting because I think I am not naturally academic uh, but I'm someone who... That really who, surprises me. Yeah, like I'm really not. Like I've ha I've had to work really hard. But I am someone who desperately wants to make people like me. You know, in that kind of... When you're growing up as an only child, you want to make all the naughty kids find you funny and you want to make all the teachers think you're really clever. So right, yeah. I was one of those kids who was like would graft as a proper swat in the background like you know after school I'd I remember once one of my teachers was like it took them several weeks to read my project on the Romans because I'd practically written a dissertation when the rest of the class <laughs> but it, but then on the other side I was also I also got in trouble quite a bit at school like not anything too bad but because I was kind of wanted to be everything 
Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I did work really hard. And also I went to a school where it was in a really tough area. I'm not going to lie. So, you know, there was some pretty deprived kids in mm-hmm. the school. Not not me in particular, but, you know, there was just some really t- kids from tough backgrounds. But we were all mixed together in this melting pot where we were told none of us were better than each other in a really brilliant way. Like the only difference between us is, you know, how hard we work or how like nice we are. Yeah. But the rest is we're all the same. And we were also given this really like tangible sense of the world of work. So our school was actually sponsored by British American Tobacco, would you believe? Wow. I know. So like free fags at lunch. Yeah, exactly. But it, it totally <laughs> explains why they're quite relaxed about smoking in the loo. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so and I didn't even realise what this acronym stood for until years later. Um, but yeah, so we were sponsored by industry. So even though it was a tough school, we had really amazing facilities and we were constantly taken out to businesses to be like shown how the world of work actually works and so that for me was amazing because then I could see jobs and I thought oh I really like engineering because that's there's a lot of industry in Middlesbrough and I was like oh and there's loads of money you could make out of it because not many women do it and and just things like that so I was always kind of following the money and following the you know where I saw opportunity and and I love science and maths and things at school so but I wasn't naturally good at it like I did after I had to really graph like my physics A-level was probably the worst thing ever in my life. Like I, I kept failing it and failing it and having to redo it and then d- did well in the end. But it was, it was. I'm, I'm not naturally clever. But what I do bang on about now in life all the time is about how we value people's intelligence. Because to me, being clever is nothing to do with academics. It's actually like how you use the things you're good at to, you know, as a career or whatever. So if you're an amazing plumber, then to me, you're clever. But as a society, we go, oh, but he's not got a degree, whatever. And I just hate all that. I hate this pressure on kids to be academic when, you know, like you can't do a degree. Can you do a degree in comedy? I don't know. No. Well, I think there's people, I think there is, there might be one that's in like, that might be around comedy. But no, like I I, I haven't got a degree. I didn't go to uni. I went to drama school. I've, I've just been showing off forever. But because I'm, you know, I was dyslexic at school and I didn't go to a school like, basically I went to a school where they were like, be quiet, Susie. You're not going to be able to make a living out of chatting. Mm. And I feel like I've really proved them wrong. Yeah, you have. Yeah. Yeah. But I've got a good little story to tell you on that front because I went, I went back to this school that, um, in Middlesbrough like another one in a, in a tough part and was doing this talk to a load of 16 year old kids like the scariest audience in the world and um, they were all kids that were deemed to be the ones most likely to not get a job or not get into their next course the, the kind of failure kids not f- failure to me but that's no, how no, they no. reviewed yeah. and um, there I was doing this talk and I said at the end, does anybody want to ask any questions? And you could see the head teacher had like primed a couple of them with some questions. And they're all the ones I hate. I'm like, oh, let them ask me whatever the hell they want. So this girl puts her hand up and you could see the head teacher like, oh, shit, it's Chantel. Oh, shit. And uh, she's like, yeah, how much did your teeth cost? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, that's the best question anyone's ever asked me because I can guarantee loads of people have wanted to ask me that. And so I answered the question and I said to her, you'd be a good journalist, you, because you've got the, you know, the guts to ask me a question like that. Yeah. And so she came up to me at the end and said, oh, do you really think I could be a good journalist? And I said, are you nosy? She went, yeah. And I went, do you like telling stories? She went, yeah. I said, do you always know what's going on before everyone else? She was like, yeah. 
And I was like, but are you truthful? And when you're telling your stories, and she was like, yeah, yeah, I am. Here, Kelly, come here. And I always the one who knows what's going on. And Kelly was like, who's clearly afraid of Chantel. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And um, I said, well, that's journalism. And she said, but, oh, miss, I'm crap at English. And I was like, so was I. I really wasn't great at English. I'm still not, to be honest. And she was like, oh. Oh, and, and a head teacher came up to me and went, oh, thanks for saying that to her. And I went, no, I meant it. And he was like, what? And I was like, she would be a good journalist. Like, it's not all about writing. It's about how you speak and you communicate. My job is just telling stories. And I thought, God, we ne- we don't say that to kids. We just, like you had with you, Susie, yeah. just them saying to you, you won't make money out of chatting. Actually, yes, you will. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so, so you did your Irish dancing. Was that when you were like a teenager? Yeah, so that was like... Um, you're quite into it. Oh, totally into it. Oh, my God, I bloody loved it. Are your family Irish? Yeah, they are, like right. my dad's yeah. side of the family are. And um, that's where I met Claire, who I do the podcast with. So we did, yeah, we did Irish dancing together. And, yeah, we took it really seriously. We used to go to the World Championships and everything. <gasps> and then um, Claire joined Lord of the Dance as one yeah, of the Yeah, I know that from listening to the podcast when she yeah. talks about being on River Dance. Yeah. Which and is amazing. Exactly. So all the, they all went off doing that. And at that point, I'd got um, got a, like a placement at Black & Decker. And so I decided not. Well, also, I wasn't as good as Claire. I just pretend that I uh, I was good enough and I just didn't choose that opportunity. But quite frankly, I wasn't anywhere near as no, good worry, as Claire. No worries, we can cut that bit if you want. We can say there was a career that was waiting. They begged you to join Lord of the Dance. <laughs> yeah. But you thought, you know what, Black & Decker. Yeah. Have to go there. <laughs> and so did you ever feel like you were an outsider at school? Did you feel like you were different to, to many of the other kids? Um, do you know, it's funny because I, I don't think I did. I felt like um, no, because I think I, I had this, and I, I genuinely thank the school for this. There was this real sense in the school that it didn't really matter who you were or what you were. Like there was a place for you. Oh, don't get me wrong. There was plenty of bullying, but like, you know, bu- the bullying was more funny than it was mean, to be honest. It was. Right. And I didn't know. I didn't feel massively different. I felt. I loved it. I really loved school. I didn't have any times when I, you know, didn't didn't enjoy it. I mean, when I left school, that was harder. And I kind of moved from Middlesbrough to London and and suddenly felt like I was just totally out of my depth uh, in every sense. And uh, and I think that was when I really felt different. But I had a, like a really eclectic mix of friends as well. Like one of my friends, my one of my best friends still is, she came out when she was 13 and she was cool as anything. Like literally, we were all like, we used to, I remember, and she, I forever tease her for this. She she bought a suit from Laura Ashley. I mean, we're 13. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, she's got this Laura Ashley suit and she's sat on the steps telling us this story. And we're all sat like three steps below her, just looking up at her like she's this god, telling us about... Um, Oh. snogging some woman and we're like wow and you know it was it was just really cool and so it was kind of like you know it wasn't a big thing we all just I mean to be fair talking to her like years later she did get a bit of bullying for that you know she did get some of the girls more than anything actually who were quite mean to her about yeah. it sagging her off and then to who turned out to be gay in the future and you're like ah you know you go into a sure. game bar and you see them working there you're like yeah it's that bitch who used to freaking you know <laughs> call me a day used to pick on me yeah. yeah and um and so I don't think she realizes although I have said it to her how much of a how much she normalized things for us in a way like she just was 
really cool about it. And she, also she it, was into acting and stuff. She went to drama school. And so when we were young as well, she was going off to London to be in the National Youth Theatre. So, oh, right. so she was just cool. You know, and she was like performing with Rafe Spall and things like that. And Michelle Dockery, who's, you know, Lady Mary and Downton Abbey and yeah, all of yeah, those. Yeah. I mean, that was her gang. So we were just like, wow, rather than, oh, she's weird. And so that really helped. I think having someone that normalizes sort of your experience yeah. is, like, there was, I mean, and I mean, <laughs> my PE teacher, Kel Surprise, um, <laughs> but I remember my PE teacher and just being like, oh, I, she's definitely gay yeah and I think she sort of could see that in me as well and she was always like really nice to me and always and would always talk to me and sort of like just check in with me at school and I think just seeing someone sort of just living a normal life and being like oh okay they're normal they've got a normal life there's nothing yeah weird here and and I think you're right and and I mean it is typical isn't it because we had a PE teacher similarly where (laughs) you know and I remember the first time I saw her in a nightclub and I can't have, I can't have been out of school much longer. And I was like, oh, miss, I always thought you were gay. And I just must have sounded like an absolute dickhead. <laughs> but it was funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, although, I mean, I'm painting this picture of everything being amazing. I know as well, my best mate, Rach, went through some really shitty times, particularly like family-wise and, mm. and stuff like that. So I, I think, yeah, but it, to me, it was just like a cool girl who made us all think, and, and even to the lads as well, because I went to school with some lads who uh, were gay and didn't, you know, didn't know or didn't whatever at the time. And and so then there was a kind of gang of us who de- didn't necessarily know at the time. But then years later, we're all like, oh, right, OK. And it's weird that we all decided to be mates and we all sort of must yes. have seen something yeah. in each other, not entirely sure what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And so why did you choose London? Because you went to UCL. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. So I chose London because I, well, I just, I mean, again, coming back to Rage, like, and we went down to visit her at the uh, National Youth Theatre when she was in these plays and stayed in Tufnell Park in her halls of residence and mm-hmm. just uh, and just had a brilliant time. So I just thought, this is where I want to be. It's really cool. Um, and I knew that like what I wanted to study, there were good courses down here. And to be honest, I didn't actually, I wasn't asked about doing a degree, but I felt like I had to prove my intelligence because I've got to get a degree to prove I'm clever. Because by this point, I was already working at Black & Decker. So when I finished my A-levels, I'd gone to work at Black & Decker as an as an apprentice. And I absolutely loved it. But I felt like I had to kind of prove I was So clever. were you a little bit older when you went to uni? No, only like two years older. Oh, right. Okay. So, um, but actually, when you say that, it makes a massive difference two years, you know, because like when I then went to London, I had about 10 jobs and everyone else, there were quite a few posh kids who didn't have to work, who yeah. I just thought, God, you're, you're, and I mean, I didn't think their life's easy. I just thought, God, you haven't got a clue about the world of work and that's probably going to be to your disadvantage. Oh, absolutely. I mean, your school sounds amazing. I wish my school had done that because it just, I just felt like everything was beyond my reach, but I'm sure growing up where you People are saying to you, well, this is how you would end up working in a place like this. This is how you'd do that. This is what an engineer is. This is what yeah. an accountant does. Yeah. Whereas I think so much of schooling is like... You've got to pass this. 
Yeah, like, you know, how mountains are formed in yeah. geography. And you sort of go, I don't know how much. I mean, it's good to know. Sure, it's always good to learn things. But I don't know how much this is going to come into my day-to-day life. Well, this is it. And, like, one of the things I bang on about, especially because I'm a business journalist, is financial literacy. Like, why are we not teaching kids at school about mortgages, about what council tax is, about, you know, how, you, how to pay for different things, what are credit cards, how can you buy a car? What are the different ways to buy a car? Like you can, you know, and just, we don't teach any of those really practical things. And that's why we have a lot of people who don't understand money or who are scared of it, who get into debt without thinking. And it is that because again, like there's another school that I've done some work with where in a really tough part of Middlesbrough again, but this is a primary school and um, their, their head teacher saw that there was a real issue with money and understanding it. So she started doing just off her own back money lessons in school and then all these primary school kids can tell you like how to convert a euro to a pound, you know, how to, what an APR is on a credit card. They're so knowledgeable about really practical stuff. And similarly, all their parents then started coming into the school and like learning some of this stuff as well. Like they did classes for everyone and um, it made a real difference. But then the flip side is that's not going to make any difference to whether that school's judged as a good school or not because they just care about whether they can do maths and English and everything else. And and that's what really pisses me off is why we don't actually look at schools and think, are they uh, judge them on whether they're adding value to people's lives and, and not, it's not all about exams. I mean, it's not the teacher's fault. It's, it's the way the system no, is. No, no, no. It's how it's. All- yeah. Anyway, that I could easily rant about that and waste the full time of the podcast going on. No, about but it. It's interesting. No, like, I mean, yeah, I've like just set up a pension as like, someone in their early 30s yeah and you sort of go how am I I don't know I mean luckily my girlfriend works in finance which is really helpful (laughs) so she understands it all I mean when we were buying our flat she like she was very across the paperwork and I was choosing paint samples yeah we really knew what we were good at yeah tag teaming that's uh, yeah exactly yeah yeah that's what you've got to do yeah like my I my partner's a brilliant cook and as I said I I'm like can't cook to save my life so you've got to just saw you trying to make a chicken sandwich when you were on the staff show (laughs) and it looked like um you found it a bit of a challenge mate you found it a bit of a challenge (laughs) like I'd thrown it up not cooked it didn't it So when you come up to London, did you think that you would like a career on screen? Had that already, like, had you no. thought that you'd like to be sort of a broadcaster? Not at no, all? No, 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 not at all. Although, actually, it, because I didn't, I had no concept of journalism, really. I didn't really know anything about, I, I watched the telly, but I didn't know how people got into the box or I didn't know, like, what jobs there were or anything like that. It came about because... um I was doing all this engineering stuff and I won an award for engineering. And then I got asked to be on a program about women engineers. And so I got asked in to go into television center. Um, You know, that obviously I'd seen like live and kick in there and children in need. So I recognized it from the telly. And so it was the most exciting day of my life was just going in to television center and being, and I was like, wow, I want to work here. And that's kind of how it all started. I went in to do the show and then basically stalked one of the producers. Uh, and <laughs> she was like, oh, you do science stuff. Why don't we sort you out some work experience on Tomorrow's World? And and then also I got a bit of a job answering the phones for Radio 4. And, and yeah, and that's how it started. 
just by that producer actually giving me a chance and, and teaching me stuff. She taught me radio editing so that I could make radio packages and things. And she just really took her time to help me because uh, she can she could see that I, I, I loved it and I was nosy and everything you need to be to be to learn yeah. yeah so that's how it came about although in hindsight it was kind of obvious that I would love to have been a presenter because at school amongst all this amazing kit we had we had you'll never believe this our own tv studio so we didn't have assemblies oh we my used God. to do college news every week so I would present the college news that was one of my little side gigs and I presented it with my mate Tasha who's now a really senior producer at CNN and uh, and statistically we were at this school where we weren't from an area where we weren't expected to do that well and you know we all a lot of us did like a lot of my mates like one of my other mates is now one of the top sports presenters in America I do think the school made a big difference and it's just surreal now. We've got another friend who's like Ralph Lorenz, chief designer. Wow. And again, she's from a really tough background. And just, we would just get, we would, I think it's that genuine thing of just being told you are just as good as anyone else. And, and anything's possible. And introducing us to careers. I mean, it wasn't all perfect. It was, and obviously there was some, not all the kids did well, but there, for those that, were given this chance and kind of nurtured. We, you know, most of us did really well. And and I'm really kind of proud of that, of, of this school for helping me with that. And because I, I genuinely don't think I'd be where I am today because I wouldn't have had the confidence. I wouldn't have had the the view of that I am just as good as anyone else. And that goes the same with people at any level. Like I treat people every, whatever level they are in a production or whatever, exactly the same because- Oh, absolutely. We're all the same as I totally. like to say. We all shit, shag and shave. That's the way I think about everything. <laughs> Perfect. Some more than others. No, sure. <laughs> um, so when you sort of started working sort of at Tomorrow's World and then doing Radio 4 stuff, were you like out at that point? Well, I, I kind of, do you know, it was funny because I was talking to my partner about this because I thought, I knew you were going to ask me and I thought, I don't, I don't know if I ever like officially came out as it were. Oh, do you want to do it now? <laughs> 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 yeah. hi everyone um so like I had girlfriends but I, I don't you know I've had boyfriends as well and I think mm. I just kind of I didn't I know this sounds like the biggest cliche in the world but I didn't I just I, I love people and I kind of I didn't like do this big thing of I am gay like my mate Rach did and I just kind of have gone with the flow of things and not really really thought overthought it to be honest with you but I think like loads of our listeners will totally connect with that because I we get like quite a lot of emails in from listeners and lots of them say the exact same thing like I'm not sure where I fit I don't feel like I'm specifically this or specifically that yeah and you know you you just want to say but that's fine that's not yeah that doesn't make you any less or more or that's totally fine yeah I think you're right I think I'm not a big fan of like labels and oh mm. you know because for example the thing that I always get labeled is the northerner you know the one with the accent and every time there's ever an accent discussion I get called up by everybody you know like whether it's question time news night uh today program everyone's like oh it's the one with the ring the one with the accent and it's like I just and I obviously I totally defend accents and everything else but I'm just like do you know what I'm also quite a few other things as well but there we are yeah 
But I think that is the thing of when you're coming out, it, it feels like if you do sort of make that sort of declaration, you know, I found I found that being a stand up, you know, very lazy male critics when I first started comedy would be like, well, yeah, she's gay, but is it that interesting? And you'd be like, I haven't, I've just done a 20 minute set where I've got two gags where I reference my sexuality. Yeah. And the rest could be, you know, is is about lots of other things that I've observed or that I've witnessed or that I've, you know, that, that's happened to me. But I think there is that sort of fear of when you you are sort of out in you know a public way yeah. that people sometimes just whittle you down to that. Yeah. Do you know what's funny though? Because I don't. I, I mean, I'm I'm quite a private person, so I don't. Yeah, like... you are very hard to research. Yeah, I know. I've got to say, out of everyone that I've done, <laughs> I think you're number fourteen or fifteen. Yeah. You, like, yeah, but but that I kind of liked that. I was like, oh yeah, I I like that you really. Yeah, and it's like not, your privacy. It's not like because I'm ashamed of anything in my life. It's really not. It's more just a case of I want to try and lead as normal a life as I can in terms of you know. I want my my daughter to just, I'm just her mom. I don't want her to think that, you know, it's that person off the telly or whatever, or, or like feel the pressure of things. And so I kind of, and, I, and you know, and my partners, I never, they're not, I haven't got profiles. So I never want them to, it sounds like I've got loads of partners. I didn't mean that. I just meant. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. I'm not going to judge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but my <laughs> Oh my God. Um, but my point being is I just, I just want to do my job. And I know that with my job comes a certain amount of scrutiny and profile and everything else. And that's fine. Uh, but I just think the less I talk about my private life, then the less I can be asked about it, you yeah. know, like the less reason I've got to go, well, you talked about your daughter when you were doing this, this and this. And so it's, it's just to kind of protect a bit of my life and make it feel normal. And similarly, I do have quite a normal life apart from the telly stuff and, and it's lovely. And I love, uh, you know, I kind of love the anonymity when I'm not doing work that I have with my family. So yeah, yeah. no, I completely get it. And you know, my partner is, it is although there's a few pictures of our, us on Instagram when I did Jonathan Ross they put up a picture of the both of us and Alice was like I did not know that they were going to do that and I was like I also did not know they were going to do that but now it's yeah. out there but I think that you know people can do what they want but yeah you know lots of my friends that have kids are like I'm the one that's sort of chosen to be sort of famous for want of a better word not them yeah that's exactly it like exactly that I've chosen not them and so if they were if they wanted to be famous Fair enough, but um, they don't. So, and yeah. you know, my daughter doesn't have any. She can't speak yet, so <laughs> so it's difficult for her to give permission, isn't it, yeah, at the moment? Yeah. So, you, when you came to London and you sort of got into, I guess, sort of working in the industry, did you think? We, did you think like, oh, I'd love to do something like BBC Breakfast? Because the thing is with breakfast is that like. I mean, and I'm sure I've read that you've said this, so it's not sort of my gag or anything, but like millions of people wake up to you. Yeah. Like that's the most common people thing. people say that to you? All the time. Like the number of men who like, who say to me, oh, I watch you in my pants or I wake up with you <laughs> on the morning and you know, it's, it's fine. They're just making a daft gag and yeah. I just laugh like I've heard it for the first time. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it, yeah. Did I always want to do it? I, do you know, I, I I didn't know that I, obviously I'd had that experience at school of doing the mm -hmm. college news, but then once I was working in the media, I didn't see any way for someone like me to be on telly. You know, I, I, I've said this before that there was a view that because of my accent that 
I couldn't do like national TV for whatever reason in serious stuff, the news, because there just it wasn't anyone like me, which is why it's really interesting because I, I did an interview not that long ago and they said, have you ever faced any prejudice for being gay? And I was like, no, but I have for my accent. <laughs> so like, yeah. how mad is the world? Because for so long at the BBC, it was like received pronunciation, wasn't yeah. it? It was very, yeah. they were very particular on how you spoke on the BBC. Yeah, that is definitely changing. Mm. Um, but so I just didn't ever think that. And not, and I didn't think, oh, I'm hard done by, I can't be on telly. I just thought, right, I'm going to climb the ladder and one day I'm going to be DG of the BBC. And that's <laughs> genuinely like how I felt because I've always been, like I say, really ambitious because I've just had this view of if, if I, why can't I be that person? What's stopping me if I work hard, if I did? Blah, blah. And so, but then I just got randomly got asked to fill in for someone on the radio and Chris Evans's show doing the business news. And that's kind of where it then kicked off. And then the breakfast editor heard that and asked me to come and do some breakfast shifts. And it was one of those brilliant moments where she said, um, like, oh, you know, come down. I know I've heard you on the radio, blah, blah, blah. And I went, we were about to go live on air for my very first morning ever on breakfast. And uh, Susanna Reid, who's presenting at the time, who I love dearly, mm. just said to me, good luck, Steph, you'll be brilliant. And we stood there and literally it's 10 seconds to go until we're live. And she said, good luck, you'll be brilliant. But you've done live TV before, haven't you? And I was like, no. And everyone just went, <gasps> and you can hear the gasp in my ear. And then it's nine, eight, seven, six. And I was like, and I kind of, you know, I, I think as well, like I just, I've been lucky and I know you can say that and you make your own luck, but I have also have, have had an element of being in the right place at the right time. And but I think also it's sometimes like jumping in with two feet, like saying, yeah, yes. I'll do live telly yeah. and yeah, not it, letting... Yeah. Not thinking that you can't, like have back in yourself, I think is yeah so important. Hosting Have I Got News For You is the thing that where I literally, I was so scared. I think that's the thing I was more scared of in my career than really? anything else was doing that. Yeah, because I watched it with my dad growing up, you know, it's like, and it's the same, you know, it's the same format. It's the same people. It's Paul and Ian and it's like, it's an institution and I yeah. kind of was like, oh, I cannot do this. And I, and it was that thing of you can force yourself, force yourself, force yourself. And I was, I was so nervous. But you did it. great. You were brilliant. I was inside, you were brilliant. I was like, oh my God. And and I and I genuinely thought I wasn't going to be able to speak the first few words of hello and welcome to have, <laughs> you know, I just was like. <gasps> but you've done it a couple of times, haven't you? Yeah, I have. I've done it quite a few times now and I, I love it. It's brilliant. Do you get a kick out of it now? Oh, totally. I love it. And do you know what? There's a few other women who've said to me, like female presenters, oh, I've thought about it, but I just, I'm too scared. And I'm like, no, that, that's what, that's what's, you know, stop, you're only stopping yourself. No one's stopping you. You'd be, you'd be brilliant. I know you're funny. I know you've got quick wit. Plus they edit it. So if you say yeah. anything crap, they won't include it. And so just, and I, so I've been really trying to encourage more of my friends who are female presenters to to go on because I think it's really good fun and it, it's in their interest to make you funny and look good. So yeah. therefore they'll edit it in that way, unless you're a politician, obviously. But no. um, so, yeah, and I think sometimes the biggest fear is just, uh, it's our own fear, isn't it? I, I'm not saying that very well. No, the no, biggest no. problem is our own fear, not anyone else stopping us from doing stuff. It's often just us. And this comes back to like the kind of whole issue about being a, a woman and 
and there is a lot of research about how women are a lot more down on themselves compared yeah. to blokes. So if there's a job going, and um, there was some research done on this, and a, a man can do can look at the job description and go, oh, I can do two thirds of that. They'll go for the job. Yes. If a woman looks at it and sees she can only do two thirds, she won't go for it. And 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 not, that's not always the case. And that's a sweeping generalization. But there's research to back that. And and I think that's true. I think we sometimes wear our own worst enemy at stopping yeah. ourselves from doing things. My friend's so. got a t-shirt that says, um, move through the world with the confidence of a mediocre white man, which, yeah. <laughs> which I've always quite yeah. enjoyed. Um, yeah. So just before we go, I'd love to talk to you about what, what was it like being, because obviously you were pregnant on yes. breakfast. And I don't know whether, I mean, I'm sure many, many people have said this to you, but for me as a gay woman, watching someone who is on like that, prime show that like everyone watches my mum and dad watch it you know everyone around the country watches it it's a big flagship show and for you to be sort of a gay woman that is also pregnant did you think about that or did you were you just like yep this is me this is what's happening in my life I did again I didn't feel any kind of um I mean, breakfast. All my team on breakfast knew about knew my partner. Mm-hmm. Like knew I had a partner. It wasn't that wasn't a big thing. The um, I mean, I'd never put out a tweet or anything saying I have a female partner or anything like that. Because, like I said before, I just I, I kind of just went along with life. I never denied it ever either. No one ever asked me. I didn't ever get asked, "Have you got a female partner?" And I said no. Mm. So, but then. Yeah, then there was a moment where the papers contacted me and said, we know you're pregnant and your partner's a woman. Um, We're going to publish it in the papers this weekend. Um, And I was like, right, okay. And I kind of, I don't know, I I did feel a bit like, oh God, because I just thought, right, suddenly my life's going to be a lot more exposed. Mm. And also nobody knew I was pregnant, so... (laughs) I was suddenly like, oh my God, I need to tell everyone I'm pregnant. And so then it was, so I remember um, me and my partner at the time, uh, I don't know why I keep saying that, I, <laughs> I've still got the same partner. Just the, the, the various the time, partners of Steph McGovern. Me and yeah, my yeah, partner yeah. Decided, <laughs> decided um that it might be, it might feel a bit heavy because we didn't know what reaction there would be. So we decided to take ourselves off to a a little hotel in Wensleydale in the Yorkshire Dales mm-hmm. that we love. Um, that's just a little one. And I'd filmed in that area a, a few years earlier, uh, a, a series about cheese, would you believe? And right. um, I, so we went there and we thought, let's just go and hide just in case this, in case there's paps outside the house or whatever. And, yeah. and obviously I'm not that famous, but just I didn't know what the reaction was going to be. And I kind of wanted to protect my partner. And we had to kind of then tell loads of people who didn't know I was pregnant, that I was pregnant, like family and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And that was all fine. But we said, let's just take ourselves away and go and have this lovely weekend. And then it was really lovely because the next morning we went to breakfast and it was in all the papers. And this little old couple was sat on the breakfast table opposite and they just leant over and they went, congratulations to both of you. And I was like, isn't that lovely? And it was just really lovely because I think, you know, obviously when it's two women having a baby, the obvious thing is to talk to the one who's having the baby and congratulate them. And then there's that can be a bit of an uncomfortable, like, oh, what do I say to the other woman? Because I don't know what her role in all of this is. And therefore, you know, and so it was just really good because they just totally normalized it. 
So just because it was kind of this straight old couple who might have been the ones you would think to kind of look at you and go, ooh, uh, they just made us feel great. And that was really lovely. And do you know what? I then was expecting loads of kind of homophobic stuff on social media, like this is not God's way or whatever else. And yeah, uh, this is disgusting and blah, blah, blah. And actually overwhelmingly it was people being lovely and to be honest I didn't actually see anything negative I mean my partner did but she kind of looked a little bit more deeply at it than I do I kind of just yeah skim read stuff yeah and obviously you know I don't read the comments on Daily Mail articles and oh, things like God, that who no, does no 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 <laughs> <laughs> no don't go down that black hole um so yeah so and then it was just it's been fine like I, I haven't I haven't had any kind of awfulness from it. And I think that's probably because, you know, it's becoming more and more normal and I'm just going about my business. I'm not making a big song and dance of it on telly. You know, we reflected it for a a couple of minutes on the show and then that was that. And then Mm. I carry on with me doing the business news. And, you know, I think that's, that's helped and, and it's been fine. And I've not, you know, I've had a few people say, oh, well, yeah, I always knew what she looked like a bloke or whatever. <laughs> and you're like, oh, God. Oh, they thought God. that before anyway, so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think people will, like, it's always, always people with, like, no picture on Twitter. It's like a first name and then some digits. Yeah. And then, and, and, it, and it always says, like, proud dad in the biog. And you think, oh, yeah, yeah. like, I don't think I'm going to care too much about your opinion. Yeah. But I think that's all so hopeful and positive that, it, you, you know, you've got to deal with that exactly how you and your partner wanted to yeah and it's worked perfectly for your lives yeah I think like the biggest pressure was actually dealing with the newspapers not the not people people were fine it was just more the kind of what what are they going to write how are they going to write it that was the scarier thing it wasn't actually people and there's still loads of people who don't even know like I've had uh, somebody tweeted me the other day saying, oh, what does your fella think about blah, blah, blah? And you're like, God, that's really funny. You literally follow me and you don't know. And that- yeah. And I think it was, like you say, the more of us who are just out there doing our jobs, doing our jobs well and just living our lives, the more normal it then becomes, doesn't it? That's the thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's sort of why, you know, I wanted to, to do a podcast like this because it is very normal. And we get loads and loads of straight people that listen to the show and it's just about sort of celebrating people, yeah. you know, and, and, and whoever they are. So um, to, to finish the show, I always ask people the, the same question. I would love to know if you could sort of, I'm trying to decide what point in your life you should go back to. Maybe when you like first moved to London and you were, and you were sort of a fish out of water and you'd moved away from that, that friendship group. If you could like pick up the phone and call maybe like 19, 20 year old Steph, what advice would you give her about what's to come? I think... The thing I would say, and I, would, I, I say this to people, especially when I'm talking to kids and stuff, is you don't have to change to fit in. You actually, being authentic is so crucial in life. Like that is the reason why I've done well is because I've been authentic. The times when I haven't, like when I was, you know, 19, 20, and I'm thinking I need to fit into this world and I don't know where I fit in. Are the times when I've been the unhappiest and the my happy times are when I'm being me and being me is is flawed you know I make mistakes as like anybody else and you know we all do and I think but being authentic is the best way to live your life because 
you've got friends for a reason because of who you are. You've you you've got a job because of who you are and what you do. It's not because of the a fake version they want you to become. And I think sometimes we forget that we we think we have to be something in order to do better and we don't like my view of life is be lovely to everyone unless they're a twat to you and uh work hard and that that will see you right in life i mean that is the perfect way to end the podcast that was brilliant thank you steph thank you so much for giving me an hour of your time oh no you're welcome um i really appreciate it well that was steph mcgovern um, I'm sure you loved it as much as I did. What a treat it was to talk to her. As ever, do get in touch. The email is hello at com. And please join me again next week when I will have another fantastic guest. Look after yourself and I'll chat to you then. Bye. Bye.